Hey guys, this is Don Airy from Deep Purple and you are listening to the Deep Purple Podcast. It's been a pleasure. You're listening to the Deep Purple Podcast, a fan podcast about one of the most legendary bands of all time, Deep Purple. We take a look at the music, history, and people behind the band Deep Purple and beyond. Welcome to the Deep Purple Podcast, the first and only podcast devoted to one of the greatest bands in rock history, Deep Purple. Today's episode is episode number 138, Deep Purple Turning to Crime Part 2. And coming to you from the wounded feet of Chicago, I'm your host, Nathan Beaudry. And coming to you from the suburbs of Providence, I'm your co-host, John, 50-year-old Mattress Matola. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah, so since uh so we're recording these episodes back to back uh on back to back days. Uh and uh yeah, if you if you joined us last week, we we, we got into <laughs> a bit of a discussion on the Golden Girls. So all even though we recorded last night, we've been sharing uh <laughs> sharing Gold, Golden Girls, Golden Girls quotes and clips. <laughs> <laughs> you like that beat it, you 50-year-old mattress. <laughs> Sophia, you gotta love her. That's uh, just great. That's a the, the the last one that I sent you before the show was so funny though. May your marinara sauce never cling to your pasta. And then <laughs> Sophia's like, Blanche's in the background and was going, <gasps> making the same faces like, when she got called <gasps> a fifty year old mattress. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so of course, what do you think I did? I fired up a couple of episodes before oh, of we started recording because uh, what else? You know, I I want to hear a bunch of uh, a bunch of old women <laughs> insult each other. It's the best thing ever. <laughs> Oh man, that's great. Highly recommend. Well, I had today off of work and I was getting my kids ready for sc- school and I ran down the stairs and my foot, I don't know how it happened or why it was there, but there was a toothpick on the ground at the bottom of the stairs. <laughs> Went directly like like what? Home Alone style where he steps on the nail and it goes like into his foot. It was like that. Like, oh no. It, oh. I, I like, so I was like, ah, I fell on the ground and I'm screaming and my kids are like, what's going on? And I had to like use force to pull it out. Oh. And, oh God! And it it hurt so bad, and then it just stopped hurting altogether. And I was like, "Oh, okay, so I guess it's not going to be a big deal." But then about an hour ago, it started hurting really bad. So I have to just take some Tylenol before bed or something. But, yeah, or, or have it looked at. And I'm talking. I'm <laughs> like, "Why was there a toothpick on the ground?" Everyone's like, "I don't know. It's good. I don't know. It's so strange." I'm like, "I wasn't me." I can I can assure you that. I'm just hoping somebody wasn't picking their teeth with it, and I'm going to get like a blood infection. <laughs> well, you know, uh, one, one of your kids is going through their cowboy phase. They're like, you know, how are you, you doing, Tex? You know, like, I mean, you know, it's it's possible. Um, but, you, but you know but, what? Uh, you know what yeah. will really take take the the uh, ease the pain is this delicious slice of pumpkin pie right here. Look at this. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. Delicious pumpkin pie. Jen made five pies for Thanksgiving. So, yes. Got to eat up. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Oh, that's just going to be, that's going to go down delightfully during this episode. Um, so, hey guys, listen up. I'm going to, I'm going to give it to you straight here. If you want to support the show, if you get some value out of this idiocy that we throw at you every week, if you are using us to 
to, to, to pass the time while driving on a commute or listening while I do the chores or whatever it is. If we bring you some value, then hey, why don't you give us some value back? For as little as $1 a month, you can become a patron on Patreon. You can also uh, donate via PayPal and just click the monthly subscription rate. Or you can do it Richard Fusey style and every month just pick a different number. to. to I'm going to give $5 this month and $20 that month and $10. Whatever you want to do. Everything's available at deeppurplepodcast.com. You can check it out right there. Um, we have merch on our Etsy store still available. I was thinking I should probably do a sale on some of that stuff. You know, holidays. It's well, all- you missed your chance for Black Friday and Cyber Monday. <laughs> That's so, true. Uh, yes, it is Cyber oh, well. Monday as we're recording. So, yeah, I would have really, really biffed the uh, <laughs> biffed that one. And I'm probably pushing it for getting it before Christmas. Oh, but hey, these these ideas always come late. Um, so yeah, maybe we'll maybe put some sales on there. Uh, try to get get some. So we have we have a few shirts left and uh, quite a few mugs. So if if you're interested, you can check it out there. And another way, if you want to support our show but do not wish to give us any money, you can also do so by leaving us a five star review on Apple Podcasts. It helps new people discover the show. Um, we would love it. And you know when uh, not to not to tempt you, but I got to keep it silent here. This 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 guy, the flexitone, the five star flexitone will come out if you leave a, a if you leave a five star review on Apple Podcast. So if you only if only if you know, I'm I'm being very careful. I don't want to make it. I don't want it to make a peep without a five star review. That's the only time I the only time I play. And every time I play the flexitone, you know, I get a little bit more skilled, a little bit better. Um, so. Uh, we appreciate that. Uh, thanks to our patrons coming in at the executive level, we have the £10 tier with Dr. Jill Brees. We have the Turn It Up to $11 tier with Clay Wambacher, Frank Teelgard, Mortensen, Alan Ain't Too Proud to Beg, and Mikkel Steen. At the $10 Someone Came tier, we have Ryan M., Jeff Bryce, Gerald Kelly, and Victor Campos. And at the $9.99 Executive Assistant tier, we have Richard Fusey. Thank you so much to all of you for being in our top uh, level of patrons. We'll thank the rest of those guys a little bit later. Um, okay, so some show updates. The reason we got talking about Golden Girls last week was because me and John are going to be hanging out in the Lanai in Florida, heading to Miami, uh, in Hollywood, Florida, I should say, which is kind of close to Miami, I guess. Um, February 10th, John's birthday. Come celebrate with John on his birthday by watching a Deep Purple, uh, show and maybe having a beer or two with us before or after. Yeah. Tickets are still available. Come celebrate my come celebrate my thirtieth birthday. Maybe I should um maybe I should pull this up just see how many how many um yeah John's thirtieth birthday yeah exactly um, yeah I love him. <laughs> so you know I'm just remembering too when I turned thirty I thought that was so old and now we're using thirty as the benchmark for being much younger yeah the thirty sounds great right about now yeah um so there's actually quite a few seats left all the the all the the cheap seats in the back of the, of the above are, are taken uh but there's quite a few on the two sides that are available there's 60 dollars tickets which isn't bad uh, there's some in the mm. 80 dollar range too um and then there's some like pricier well actually some of the ones right down by the by the stage on the on the on the left-hand side and the right-hand side. Well, the left-hand side, for some reason, they're going for 110, which isn't bad. You're talking one, two, three, four, five, six rows back. I don't know if there's a big column in front of those. Um, and then the other side of the stage, for some reason, are like 300 plus. So I don't know what's so much better about one side versus the other. But um, yeah, check it out. There's there's uh, some other tickets like right in the, it looks like the mezzanine above too. So yeah, check that out. Uh, that's the, uh, the Hollywood, Florida show. Two days later, we'll be in St. Petersburg at the Mahaffey Theater, which I hopefully am pronouncing right. Um, and that one, I'm pulling that one up right now. 
looks like there's some available. It doesn't show you seat by seat, but it looks like there's a bit of availability left. It looks like all the boxes and everything are taken, but there's stuff in the in the pit. The pit is like two hundred dollar tickets. A little further back, a hundred dollars, and then above you get the hundred and sixty fifty to sixty dollar range. So not bad. Well, it's good to hear that there are you know a lot of them are selling. Oh yeah, I mean it, it looks like it's, it's going to be pretty packed. Um, I would assume. I mean, we've got we're three months out here, so it might be even sold sold out. It'll probably be sold out because there's not a ton of tickets left. But if you want to get in, you certainly can at this point. Um, uh, so, uh, some feedback from even though it's only been um, about uh, 24 hours since we recorded our last episode, some feedback. The Golden Girls was a thing in the UK. I've heard from some of our UK listeners that they're familiar with the, the Golden Girls. So that's big news. I'm glad to hear that. Um, another album that got brought up, we were talking about uh, you know bands that did all cover albums, is Gillen's Inn, which didn't think about that. That's a good one. Although Gillen's mostly doing Gillen written or co-written songs. I think there's mm-hmm. one song on there and then maybe some bonus tracks that are straight covers. Um, so that's another good example. And then to follow up, I couldn't find this last time, but I, I knew I was reading it in an article, but Real World Studios, where Gillen did his um, his vocals, uh, was this, that's the studio owned by Peter Gabriel. So it's a studio, a uh, residential recording studio founded by Peter Gabriel and situated in the village of Box Wiltshire, near to the city of Bath. I've been to Bath. Saw the stone formations there. Very cool. Hmm, I took a bath once. <laughs> See, there's so, many, there's so many coincidences here. It's just it's unreal. Somebody asked me recently, like, do you have a do you have a bathtub? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, oh, you should, you know, soak with the, some lavender, Epsom salts or whatever. It's like, I have I haven't taken a bath in like 40 years. Okay. It's like, <laughs> like, why? Why would I ever want to take a bath? Yeah, like, last time you took a something. bath, it was like you and Mike were in the bath together playing with like little toy boats. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, it's like, um, I don't know. It just, it sounds like such an unappe- <laughs> unappealing idea. I don't like it. Jen takes a bath all the time. Uh, I don't, I, um, I, the only time I take a bath is like maybe once a year. If I'm like feeling really sick, like I'll get in the bath, but that that's yeah. not, not like I, I have never taken a non illness bath since I was like yeah. a very little kid. I feel like if you're like in a luxury hotel or you have a really nice house or something, you would like want to take a bath in one of those. But if you just have a standard, like, you yeah. know, like bathroom, like in your house or whatever, like you either step into it to to use it for the shower or like, you know, you're plunging yourself into it, like with Epsom salts to like feel better or like a ice bath. If you have like a fever of like, you know, 103 <laughs> as an emergency, like those are the uh, only it, scenarios I can see. Uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's pretty much it. I just you don't, know? I don't feel like I just don't have the time for it, but we have a really nice, but we have a huge bath. Uh, in our big dumb bathroom, um, but I, I just don't really take advantage of it too much. Mm. So our bathroom is the worst laid-out bathroom in North America. I can guarantee you, um, it's big, and absolutely they've squandered all the space when they designed it. They're just like, oh, let's make everything terrible. Let's make no room for anything. Somehow there's just no room for anything. Our our little tiny bathroom in the apartment we lived in before this was somehow laid out better than this giant stupid bathroom we have now. Um, <laughs> thinking one day remodeling it, but that's pricey. Um, so anyway, before we get to the, the main meat of the show, uh, we're going to get right into the songs, obviously, because we covered a lot of the other stuff earlier in, uh, in yesterday's episode. 
um, or last week's episode, I should say. Uh, DeepDivePodcastNetwork.com. Check it out. You can uh, listen to Sabbath Bloody Podcast with Rye, uh, The Simple Man of Skinner Reconsidered, uh, Us, of course, Terry T-Bone Mathley, T-Bone's Prime Cuts, uh, Paul, David, and Joe at Lap of the Pods, Scott at uh, The Magician's Podcast, uh, Andy and Matt at Hawk Binge. We got Eric and Jonathan at Maiden A to Z. Uh, Daniel and Josh at Diary of the Mad Men, uh, Ben and Sam at Universally Speaking the Red Hot Chili's Peppers podcast, and George and Tom at Metal Gods podcast. So check out those shows for sure. All right. So here we are. We are finally at the second half of the album. So I'm actually really looking forward to this because... Well, I guess with the first half of the album, I had I had heard bits and pieces of it. And with the second half, I, I am going in completely cold so that's why i'm really kind of looking forward to this one um it's just the opportunity to uh, to hear the songs that we really uh had only heard the originals of so um ready to uh ready to dive into this one john let's let's dive into the bathtub let's dive into it and what uh what better way to enjoy um enjoy some tracks than with a big plate full of dixie chicken let's let's take a bite setting a setting a mood with this one and I wasn't really familiar with this track before so but I did like the original at this point I think I forgot what the original sounds like yeah Dixieland style piano that Don's laying down in the back. A lot of piano on this on this album. Yeah, I, I didn't make that observation out loud on the last episode, but I was thinking it. It's kind of nice. I think we've talked about this before. Like Don... Don to me, kind of steals the show in the, the the last few albums. And live, live, he just blew me away. I don't know how long the original is on this one, but we were talking in the last episode about how it kind of extended. Look it up. Yeah. Yeah. 
that's nice. This is about a minute longer than the original. And I did not mention, but this by the band Little Feet from the 1973 album Dixie Chicken. This what's got background vocals from Gillen Glover and Ezrin again. That's a really cool effect. The hard pan left and right, like playing in unison, but separate mm-hmm. tracks. It sounds like on the on that slide. So that is uh, Dixie Chicken, little food nice. color. All right, John, what do you say about Dixie Chicken? Um, I'll I'll give it a I'll give it a three. I honestly didn't remember the song until I remember that you were you made a comment in the 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 first episode we did listening to the originals that you think that that's somebody said that's where the Dixie chicks might've gotten their name from that song or. I think somebody in the chat might've said that. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was just kind of like, um, I guess it didn't make too much of an impression on me because when I was listening to it, I'm like, I don't remember listening to this one. Mm. And um, I mean, it was it was in, uh, it was pleasant, you know. It was enjoyable. It was would be like one of those background songs I'd probably put on, but not. Um, I wouldn't seek it out. Um, but as usual, every you know, the playing is good. Everything's produced well. It's just um, you know, not too an exciting of a cover, in my humble opinion. Yeah, I would agree, and also give that one a three. I think it's. Very well done and well played, but it's it's just a little too, it's a little plotting, and you know it it does go on about a minute longer than the original. And I'm I'm not trying to think, ah, just for the hell of it, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna play just a few seconds of the original just to see uh, what the what the tempo of that one is to see how much they sped it mm-hmm. up or slowed it down. So far. Uh, sounds about the same tempo. Yep. Yeah, so I don't think they necessarily slowed it down at all. So it's yeah. So it's basically sounds like they did the exact same uh, same kind of uh, tempo uh, on treatment it. Treatment so, to it. Yeah. yeah. 
So, yeah, again, a, a three. I think you can't deny the, the playing is really good. But yeah, maybe the song just doesn't excite us the way that some of the other ones would. Um, yeah. Okay, next up, yeah. uh, Yardbirds cover Shape of Things, <clears throat> written and composed well, by James McCarty, uh, Keith Ralph, Paul Samuel Smith. Published by Yardbirds, Yardbirds Music, backing vocals again. Bob Ezrin is all over this album on backing vocals. Oh my goodness. Um, here we go. Shape of Things. This is such a. Some songs just have that distinct sound to them. This sounds song sounds so sixties. Yeah, I mean, obviously, this is an up an updated version, but it's so sixty sounding. You know, it it's it's a lot more fluid than the original version. Yeah. Like uh, Pace's drumming is really good there. He's got some you know some powerful sounding drums in that uh, that kind of um, this part coming up here. But um, yeah, the original version is a lot more kind of like, like staccato sounding, mm-hmm. and I don't know. I think that's where the it gets a lot. Of, the song gets a lot of its personality from. Not yep. that they have to do it exactly like the original, but I think it's I'm kind of missing that. Yes, a little bit. pretty cool I, I don't i don't recall how the solo break goes in the original but this sounds like it's kind of coming out of the song into yeah, something this very is, new yeah this is definitely like modernized but i mean really nice Yeah, it sounds like the guys are just doing their own thing on it here. And the original was two minutes and 26 seconds. So again, they tacked on about an extra minute on this one. Ian Gillen band sort of <laughs> sort of out of out of nowhere synth sound. If you know me, I'm all for that.
interesting Shapes version of things. Yeah, what do you think of that one, John? Despite not really loving too much the direction they went in with it, I'll I want to give it a three point five mm-hmm. um, because um, I do I do think it's a good song, but I have to kind of disagree that you said um, you can really tell it's a 60s song. I think like I only can because I know it is, but I think that they lost whatever feel it had from uh, from that. You know what I mean? Like um, I mean, when I they had, did oh, um, the seven and seven is love like that yeah. sounded like a 60s song. Um, uh, you know, it kind of retained that, you know, original flavor i guess but i think that they musically they kind of um you know and that's the whole point of a cover album is to put your own stamp on it but i think that that took that out of this song and i i kind of liked i kind of liked this song with that and i've heard a couple of covers of this song uh by other artists who have done it like uh, a little more faithfully like you know like kind of heavier mm-hmm. um you know but kind of keeping with the you know the original uh, kind of feel of the song, uh, but I I did like the 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 solo breakdowns in the middle because it was it was obviously more modernized and sounded more, uh, you know, um, you know Steve Morris, uh, you know, uh, modern guitar player, uh, you know, type of feel to it, which I do like. Um, yeah. I don't know if I liked it for this song, but um, you know, um, yeah. To me, I just like the, the whole melody line and everything. The shapes of things before my eyes. Like it just kind of like has that like weird marching rhythm to the to the delivery of the vocals that just sounds to me like such a '60s song. Even listening to this one and not being yeah, yeah I've heard the original, but I'm not super. I was never like big into the Yardbirds, um, mm-hmm. so like uh, it just to me when I listen to stuff like that, it's I don't want to see. It, it, it'll come across as negative, but I don't mean it that way, but it's, it has that generic 60s pop, not the Beatles <laughs> sound to it. To right, me, it's like, right. the, the, you know, everybody but the Beatles. From right? my limited standpoint, like everyone else in, say, 1966 was releasing songs that sounded like that, and the Beatles were kind of on a different plane as far as their mm-hmm. songwriting and their melodies and stuff. Just my opinion. Uh, you you may disagree, but um, so that so when I hear a song like that, I'm like, oh, it's another, it's it's a contemporary of the Beatles that was trying to be in that same ballpark, but not quite, uh, quite getting there. Uh, that's my take on it. So um, that being said, I will give this one a 3.5, a, a, a strong 3.5, almost leaning to a four because I really like what they did with it. I like that little midsection they put in there. Um, thought it was pretty cool. Um, okay, so I'm excited about this next one. It was probably the song on the original that I was maybe the least into. It's the Battle of New Orleans. So it's a, a, a skiffle kind of song, the original. And uh, I think we talked about this before when you... Um, a lot of our, the, the, our musical heroes reference skiffle as being this great thing. I was just watching... You know, the Beatles documentary Get Back uh, came out a few days ago, so I've been, I'm, I'm almost done the second episode of that out of the three episodes, and they will start playing some of their uh, the songs like just out of nowhere. They'll just start playing a song from the 50s that they loved, and they're talking about how great Skiffle is. And <laughs> as uh, in our generation, you just look at it and you're like, really? Like, how did Skiffle <laughs> inspire any of these people to do anything? <laughs> to me, it just looks like it's, it's crazy. Um, 
I just listened to it. And I'm just like, I'm glad it did inspire them, but I don't know. I don't understand how. And I, I think we've talked about it before. When you, the the people that influenced you, when you look at who influenced them, sometimes it's a head scratcher. Um, that being said, I'm looking forward to this because it's it's been talked about a lot, and I've been intentionally not listening to it because I want to hear it for the first time. But when you look at the 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 notes here, it says vocals. Roger Glover comment Ian Gillen. So it's been widely talked about. Again, I haven't heard it yet that Roger Glover takes lead vocals on this one. And it's the first time in Deep Purple history that Roger's uh, on a studio album that Roger Glover um, has taken lead vocals or uh, that anyone really other than one of the singers has taken uh, lead lead vocals. So uh, very interested on that. But it also says credit Steve Morris and Bob Ezrin, but Roger Glover is the first credit. Mm. Um, and then also fiddle, genus Forsyth, and Squeezebox, Bruce Dagrapont. So there you go. Um, mm. Squeezebox. What's a squeezebox? Something that Mama's got. Isn't? Ew. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she 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 wears it on her chest. I heard. Um, what? I'm looking at. It. Oh yeah, it's like so. It's like the little you know, like it's a it's like an accordion. Um, I don't know if it's if it differs from an accordion or if it's just like another term. If it's like, is that what British people call it? Accordion? I don't know. So, yeah. Or is it just the, the little one like the monkey place with it? You can put your hands on the entire thing or does it actually have the keyboard attached? I don't I don't know. I'm not. a. Uh, maybe when we listen to this, it'll it'll be become... hey, the monkey. His name is Giuseppe. <laughs> Uh, okay, so here we go. Uh, the Battle of New Orleans, uh, New Orleans, as they call it, um, or New Orleans, depending on where in America you're from. So here we go. Battle of New Orleans. Well, that's Roger. <laughs> he doing his like American accent. We met the bloody British in the town of New Orleans, and well, we fired our guns, and the British kept it coming. There wasn't as many as there was a while ago. We fired once more, and they began to run down the Mississippi to the Gulf of Mexico. And of course, it's great that you know it's a song about defeating the British. A very uh, very different sound to it than the original. <laughs> the original it's kind is kind of fun. Yeah, it's very fun. Well, the the layers of the way that the layers of vocals sound are really like impressive. Like, it's just really full sounding. Yeah. And I mean, I love the way he makes Gillen sound. Like, I mean, you got like, Gillen sounded good as ever. 
<laughs> it's awesome hearing them sing together, too. Yeah, that's fun, too. There's a really like deep like uh what do you, what do you call it a baritone voice or something? Yeah, I'm there. wondering who's doing that. Maybe that's Bob Ezrin. Maybe. Maybe it's uh Steve. That was pretty fun. That, that was, was it fun. has to be so far the most original song on the album. Original as far as like original sounding. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> if you if you played that for the average Joe on the street, I don't think that they would guess it's deep purple doing it. No. <laughs> I mean, honestly, no. if you played it for me other than no recognizing those voices so well, I wouldn't if you just played the music for me, I'd be like, I had some, some, I don't know, some Zydeco band that <laughs> I don't even know what Zydeco is. It just sounds like it probably sounds like that. <laughs> yeah. You know what it reminded me of? So before the show, we had a little, um, funnily enough, we had a, uh, <laughs> I played a, a Weird Al song for you um, <laughs> when you joined the, uh, when you joined the, 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 the chat yep. after a Here's few Johnny. Few, yeah. So this one reminds me of another one. Do you recognize see if this this uh if you can see where I'm coming from? Oh, I might have to I might have to fast forward to the I can't hear it. You can't hear it? So I kind of like. Oh wow! Yeah, have the happy birthday. Yeah, I mean, it's quite possible. I mean, it's a very like standard kind of kind of. Well, we finally melody. we finally found the Weird Al Deep Purple connection. Yeah, well, I think the um, <laughs> you know, also uh, Weird Al is a world-renowned squeeze boxist, so maybe uh, maybe that's what's reminding me of it. But it definitely is following the beats of that melody in that song. Mm -hmm. But that's all I could think of when I was hearing it. But um, anyway. Um, uh, what do you think of the Battle of New Orleans or New Orleans? Um, I will give it a, uh, a 3.5. Um, I thought it was, I thought it was good. I mean, despite not enjoying that type of song, mm -hmm. like, um, you know, kind of has that, I don't know, um, that kind of country hillbilly like honky tonk feel to it. I really don't like music like that. And especially when they have, you know, lyrics like that about, you know, um, I don't, I don't even British. <laughs> yeah. Stuff like, yeah, exactly. Like if it's a, if it's like a storytelling type yeah, of, uh, yeah. you know, lyrics or whatever. And then, and then we went to die and then we did this and then da, 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 and we took, picked up the flag and ran over here. And I, you know, I don't know what they were saying, but that, um, that sort of, that sort of style of that storytelling song to me is usually an instant turn off. Yeah. It's, it's very kind of like, you know, um, 
like a country hick type of like sounding <laughs> thing. That's what I associate it with. Um, however, um, since it's Deep Purple and, um, you know, it was like a Roger Glover, Ian Gillen collaboration on vocals. And, uh, you know, I really liked the 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 layering of the vocals and how they sounded and you know gillen as a as a background singer was like really good i mean mm-hmm. again and like you know i keep saying it this is just like you you close your eyes and you think that you're listening to gillen like 30 years ago or more you know mm-hmm. it's like it doesn't matter how ezrin got to that point it's like you're hearing gillen like you want to hear him like in an album in 2021 and i think that those um those vocals really stood out and the fact that it was just like a fun song knowing that it was purple doing this and they were just like you know you're just like okay they're having like a ball doing this yeah um you know it like it 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 um it kind of like you know walked the line of you know being um you know kind of like almost ridiculous but it didn't get there you're like you're enjoying it but you're not laughing at it you know being like you know like it is like ah it's a weird owl song it's like you know you could play the weird owl song and be like yeah they sound the same but it's like they they did a great job with it so i'll give it a strong 3.5 for that yeah i think i'm going to surprise myself and give this one a 4 i Ooh. really did not care for the original all that much like it's not it's mm-hmm. it, like you said that's music like a kind of music that i would never seek out and i don't i generally don't like super literal like storytelling songs like to me like yeah you know like the song american pie or something i can't like every time it comes on i'm uh, just like oh <laughs> i can't do it even speaking yeah. of weird al weird al did a parody of it i can't even listen to that i'm like sorry weird al i can't even although it's great it's a great parody like all of his are but i'm just like i can't well, even like, listen to that but it's, it's just not my thing and that's not to say there are there's definitely storytelling songs that i really like and that i enjoy um like shooting star that, jack and diane you know yeah, it's just jack like and diane, eh. don't even get me started on jack and sucking on <laughs> chili dogs did you ever hear the sucking like, on chili dogs remix american pie you know what they, else they they did a um that somebody no. did like a, a remix of 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 the song jack and diane but it's all it is is repeating the, the word sucking on chili dogs so it's like sucking on chili dogs sucking on chili dogs sucking no. on chili dogs sucking on chili dogs <laughs> the entire song you gotta no, check. I'm glad I haven't. <laughs> it's it's kind of <laughs> saved the song for me. <laughs> um, but yeah, I the songs like that I generally can't stand because I think it's because they're just so literal. Like yeah. I, I I like when they tell a story with like maybe a little bit of nuance or metaphor or something. Like I don't mind I think the that's idea the of telling literal a story, storytelling. But yeah, I like when it leaves a little something in your, you know, it, it, up to your imagination. When not when it tells you exactly beat for beat exactly what happened. <clears> so. Um, so right, yeah, but that right. being said, I think this is a great bit of fun. I love hearing Roger sing. And like you said, Ian backing him up sounds so good. Um, whoever's got that baritone going on sounds great. It's just a fun song. Great squeeze box playing. Love the squeeze box. Uh, but yeah, it's great stuff. Very, very happily, happily impressed with that one because it's probably the one I was least looking forward to, but it ends up being one of my... Uh, stronger tracks on the album okay next up uh this was this is the song lucifer which uh is a bob seeger system song written and composed by bob seeger of course um uh backing vocals again by gillen and ezrin percussion by julian shank and this is one of the songs that i was not familiar with at all before we got into it but i really like the original so looking forward to see what they do with this one we are cruising on the 
I love that plunking piano with a little guitar riff going over it. That's a great effect. It's a little more straight ahead rock. Yeah. I like it. And I'd love to know what the process was for selecting these songs. I'm sure it's some of the stuff they put out in maybe interviews and maybe documentaries that make him later. They'll maybe get a little more into it. But it'd be great to see who picked this one. <laughs> I like the um, the uh, the recent Roger Glover interview that we referenced before. And they're like, oh, who, who picked these songs? And, and he's like, we all did. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for clarifying, Roger. <laughs> I think it might have been like, you know, who was the main person that would pair? Did somebody like particularly lean toward a certain song or something? He was just like, so, I mean, who is responsible for picking out all the songs? He's like, well, we, we all picked them. And I'm like, yeah, no shit. <laughs> Definitely deep purpleifying. Uh the middle part again but I think this is probably the original of this is actually yeah. oh nice nice Hammond solo yeah Nice. Yeah. I mean, I don't think you'd be necessarily fooled by the verse parts of this, but by that instrumental break, if you didn't know the song, maybe even if you did know the song, you'd just think, oh, this is a snippet of a Deep Purple song off of their new album. jammed that one out i want to say that one was from like i think that's from 73 or something so deep purple would have been full full swing by the, when that came out um mm -hmm. all right so lucifer what do you think john i'll give it whoa whoa <laughs> <laughs> oh wait a minute i think i gave it the shocker oh jesus <laughs> i think by accident Excellent. whoops yeah. yeah let's go with these um, four I fingers <laughs> I give it. I'll give it a four. A four. Um, yes. Yeah, I liked. Um, I liked it a lot. It had a lot of the uh, classic purple elements in it that I uh, was hoping to hear. Uh, you know, at least a 
couple of more times in the album mm-hmm. and uh it's aside from that it's like it's um it's a good song too um yep. and as usual everybody sounded great and it was nice to hear a classic uh hammond solo on there that just uh made me think uh bits and pieces of uh john lord obviously and uh don airy definitely hit the mark yeah for sure i will also give it a four thought that was really well done really good M- moved along really well good uh Definitely a good version. Okay, so we've got the last uh, solo song, meaning uh, the medley is coming after that. And that is, of course, White Room by Cream, written and composed by Jack Bruce, Peter Brown, and redacted, according to the the liner notes here. Um, uh, Backing vocals again, Gillen and Ezrin, recorded uh, at the Renaissance House. So here we go. White Room, a song we are all very familiar with. Here, here it is. Pretty uh, faithful now. He's not throwing in the little guitar fills, though. course cream uh deep purple open for cream in 68 i think on the farewell tour what is it uh deep purple open for cream during the farewell tour right and then they were kicked off the bill because i think eric clapton felt threatened by richie blackmore (laughs) well good he should have been yes nice got a little wah guitar coming in there late that little synth part that Ari throws in there. Yeah, the kind of interesting interpretation on it. But other than that, it's pretty straight ahead. It's just kind of a... So far, not not deep purpleified, but we got some time to go. Only about halfway through. We 
where you're saying like this is a song they throw in like a movie to just let you know what <laughs> time the movie you know it's the 60s no it's to, to let you know it was the late 60s yeah. <laughs> This one is the exact same length as the original. Just a few seconds off. It's actually a few you know, seconds shorter. I don't think shorter. they really added anything different. No. It seems like they, they had a kind of a f- four to five minute mark they wanted to hit for every song. So if the, if the song wasn't long enough they were covering, they'd throw in some trading off solos. some cool pads going on in the background there. There we go, another fade out. Hmm. There you have it, White Room. What do you think of White Room, John? Um, hmm. I think we finally stumped. We finally broken, John. No, I'm just trying to, like, um, you know what? I'm going to give it a 2.5. All right. I mean, I, I think about it is the 2.5 is a halfway point, so it's really not bad. But um, the reason I want to give it a three is, is because like it, it kind of disappointed me. It's kind of what I thought would happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I don't know. I think that the, I like the original a lot. Yeah. Um, and I think there were some things in the original, like, I mean, uh, Clapton's fills and his outro guitar solo. I mean, you, you got to be good and, or, um, you know, replicate it, you know, mm-hmm. in order for it to like, you know, hit me. Um, you know, in the, in the gut and it really just didn't, you know, and, um, and honestly, like, I didn't like what Gillen did with the vocals because it's like, I mean, you know, uh, you know, Jack Bruce was like, you know, a a good singer, you know, it wasn't like, uh, you know, nobody was just like ever talks about him. He was like, Oh, top vocalist of all time, Jack Bruce. But, um, I think that, I don't know, um, Gillen just kind of missed the mark a little bit, I think, um, with how he sang it, mm-hmm. especially like, and and I don't know if he can still do it, although I think he could sing this way. Is it like the the chorus or the the bridge or whatever? Um, I guess it's like the chorus or the pre-chorus. I'll, the, I'll wait in this place where the sun never shines. Yeah. Like instead of it being like a group vocal, I was really hoping that he was going to go into that kind of like almost like um, 
you know, child in time type of vocal, not the really high one, but where he, you know, was like kind of, you know, whispering the lyrics, you yeah. know, um, type of thing, which I still think that he can do, or I would think that he could still do. Maybe he can't, or maybe he just chose not to. But I think that that would have been really nice for him to kind of like hit those kind of like, you know, sweet kind of like soft notes on his own. Yep. Uh, kind of like Jack Bruce did in the original. Um instead of it being kind of the overblown uh, Bob Ezrin production that it was like, I don't think that that really worked too well on this song. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, even though I said that it was like overdone and it would have been cool if they did like a cream deep cut instead of this, like uh, a better executed version of this would have like, uh, you know, I would have liked to have heard. Um, but for me, some of the choices were just not, you know, my favorite. So I, I don't think I'd listen to it again. Yeah. I think you hit on a lot of the points. I would, I will also give it a 2.5. Um, I, this is probably the song I was the least when, when it first came out that it was a covers album. I know there was a lot of talk of like, Oh, we're not going to, we're not going to be doing any obvious songs. We're doing, we're not doing the radio hits. And then I, the, the first song, like my, my eyes fell to were white room. And I was like, come on, that's, <laughs> it's such a classic song. Um, Right. To me, I I would have loved to have them do a song where where the title wouldn't immediately grab me that it was Cream, where I'd be like, what song is that? Oh, it's something else else off of Disraeli Gears, or that I'm right. not as familiar with, and I'd actually have to like listen to it to be like, oh yeah, that song. I I never really realized I remembered what the the name of the song was or whatever, but instead it's kind of like outside of Sunshine of Your Love, is it maybe the biggest cream song or maybe it's neck and neck with that one i don't know how you measure that but those are the two songs very I recognizable think um very recognizable yeah yeah and I, to me it felt almost like um a little forced like they were going through the motions on it and it, like by the by the, like the third verse or something i was just like oh it's another verse you know <laughs> it didn't it didn't yeah. have the same fire in it that the original did which is understandable but i think it would have been nice if they had i think this is probably the most faithful cover that they've done so far in this album so it kind of makes you wonder like at, at that point what's the point it just sounded mm. it just didn't it, it didn't super grab me so yeah 2.5 for me which leaves us with only one more track left before we get into uh, closing out the episode um with some reviews and such but that track is Caught in the Act, which I thought was kind of, I didn't realize until like after it was like, oh, Caught in the Act. It's like, you know, like they always throw in some little uh, covers into their songs. Like they'll do those little quick, like little few minute uh, or, 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 you know, 30 second little snippets they'll throw depending on what's going on in the news or what town they're playing in. And I was just like, oh, like, so this is Caught in the Act. Like you, these are songs you would have caught them playing on their tours. So I thought that was kind of clever. Um, you've got, what is it? One, two, three, four, five songs, mm -hmm. five songs in a seven and a half minute song. So it's probably going to move pretty quick. It's, it's obviously Thanks. the longest song in the album. It would have to be being a medley of five songs, but they're not going to be spending more than a minute or minute and change on each song. So you've got going down, uh, which we think we talked about. They might be kind of going with more of the, the Jeff Beck version, but uh, the version that we covered on our originals was by us uh, by a band called was it uh, Moloch, uh, which I wasn't really super familiar with. Green Onions, of course, Hotlanta, Dazed and Confused, and Give Me Some Lovin'. And again, when I saw those those tracks, I was like, again, not a lot of deep diving on those. Uh, right. They're all 
very well. Going down has been covered by I think I talked about it in the in the originals episode, but uh, Mark three or Mark four at least covered that one, if not Mark three as well. They used to play it live, um, and then you know Green Onions, Hotland, uh, uh, Days and Confused, give me some love and no real deep cuts there. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see how they weave them all together into one uh, distinct unit. So. Here we go. We'll kick it off. Without further ado, Caught in the Act. It does make you wonder how would they arrange something like this when they're all remote? Yeah. Wonder what those meetings sounded like. But Gillen's not even singing over this. I wonder if it's all instrumental. No, there he comes. Oh, okay. Very, very low in the mix, though. There you go. Oh, you really, uh, really make that work. Hmm. Probably not going to be any so far. In this one, so though. good. great if Gillen didn't sing much during going down but he sang during this one he's like green onions I got those green onions <laughs> he starts making up words he makes up his own words <laughs> he's like I forgot to sing on going down so I'll just uh, make something up for this part he's like I'm the honky tonk man <laughs> I'm the honky tonk man <laughs> I mean, donkey ride dream. <laughs> they don't really do a, this is a. I feel like this is a hard one to capture the feel of, but they do a really good job with it. <laughs> yeah. It's just kind of occurred to me that they've got two out of the first three are instrumentals to begin with. But is he gonna is he gonna jump in and do a do a Robert Plant impression? We'll have to see. Be great if Coverdale comes on. <laughs> That's decent, confused. <laughs> you know the Robert Plant clone that everyone knows. 
Ugh, don't get me started. <laughs> I think so far they're nailing this medley. It's really good. It's awesome. Yeah. Songs don't really flow into each other. No, they just kind of like yeah, stop, like stop and then they just and start then they the go new to the one. next one. But it's cool. But yeah, it's still good. That's my only critique right now. Definitely putting their own spin on that. Yeah, but you notice they, they picked up on a different part of the song. Yeah. They're not having Gillen try and sing it. Yeah, so maybe the whole thing is instrumental. You know, with a little bit of him, like, you know, kind of singing melody in the background. must do a lot of give me some lovin' because there's a lot of song left. <laughs> Maybe Gillen will come back for that. Good old Muff Winwood. That might be Roger in the background. Singing? It what sounds yeah. like uh, well it says Bob Ezrin, Nicole Talia, and Marsha B. Morrison from the earlier songs. Oh, okay. So. I wish they all went. Hey! That's kind of cool. It went back until I'm down at the end, or go, going down at the end. 
<laughs> I don't know how much of that is like the song's over, so I'm just gonna like do a little roll on this tom and they decide to keep it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, caught in the act, John. What do you say about caught in the act? Uh 4.5. Oh. Hi oh. All right. Yeah, it's it yeah, well, I mean, you know, it's um it's good. I mean, you know, they they really um they they hit on a uh they hit on a good uh medley, you know. I think they did a justice to all the songs and um yeah, it was a, it was a cool listen. Yeah. Um you know, this is uh that's kind of what I was hoping for. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah, like you said, I think the only the only critique I would have, which very minor, is that they didn't. It was kind of like they stopped a song, and they went on to the next one. They stopped a song and went on to the next one. Although at the end, when they tied in going down again at the very end, they kind of tied it with a little bow. That was like really, really well done. Um, yeah. But I. But yeah, the, all of the performances of them were great of each each one of the individual songs, and then ending with pretty much almost the. Almost a full version of Give Me Some Lovin'. That's a pretty short mm-hmm. song. Uh, but, you know, it was a little shorter. Uh, yeah, that was really cool. I will, I'll give it a four. I, I really enjoyed it. Thought it was a great little closeout to the album. And a nice little nod to what they do live, uh, generally. Mm. Uh, so that's pretty cool. Um, be interesting to see what songs they uh, decide to put into the act when, when we go. Or, or if they would do something like this in the set. Uh, like maybe reproduce this or or what nods to this they'll they'll be at all uh, when they when they play if any um really cool so there you have it while john tabulates up how this is going to stack up uh in in our album our complete album list i will take this moment to thank our core level patrons Coming in at the $7.77 Keep It Warm Rat tier, we have Michael Vader. At the episode $6.66 tier, we have Steve Coldwell, Arthur Smith, Anton Glaving, and no longer Richard Fusey. Get I keep deleting this one. Um, at the $6.65 Almost Evil tier, we have Kenny Wymore. At the $5.99 Nice Price tier, we have Fielding Fowler and Robert Smith. And at the $5 Moneylender tier, John Convery, German Heindel, Adrian Hernandez, Jesper Alman, Oleksi the Perfect Stranger Slepikov, James North, Mark Hodgetts, Kev Roberts, Will Porter, Zwapper the Electric Alchemist, and Tim Southern Cross Johnson. Thank you so much to all of you for your generous support of the Deep Purple podcast. All right, John, where does Deep Purple Turning to Crime 2021 release out just a couple of days ago? Where does that fit in this uh, list of albums we've done so far? Okay, so um, this is um, in the uh, kind of the uh, the lower mid range of uh, overall ratings mm-hmm. uh, as a seven point one seven. So it's um, it's you know it's um, I would say it's like in the bottom bottom half. Um, you know, wasn't our highest rated, uh, but our variance was small. We rated it roughly about the same, mm-hmm. and um, it is. Um, uh, below, uh, below Scarabus mm-hmm. and above, uh, Sheer Kazoo, which go, is which, which we just because, which, uh, yeah, that's see, that's funny how that works out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so sandwiched between a couple of uh, uh, Ian Gillen albums, Classics, yeah, yeah, so, um, kind of, um yeah, actually kind of surprised that uh 
Scarabus is uh, that far down there, but I can't remember what I said about it. But um, I can remember back that far. Mm. But yeah, um, so like I said, kind of on the uh, kind of on the lower end of ratings. But I mean, you know, I think we rated everything. You know, kind of a uh, you know, uh, there were a lot of songs on there. We rated them mostly average. Um, yeah. You know, there were not a ton of standouts. Um, you know, it wasn't like an all fours and fives album. So no, but um, there were some good solid fours, like the first, like the first couple of tracks, and mm. um, and the last, the last couple before we got into um, uh, White Room was kind of the one that probably brought down the overall average. Um, yeah, I mean, I would say overall. Um, um, you know, well, well produced and performed album, but you know, if I may, uh, you know, um, kind of, uh, um, speculate that, uh, maybe, um, if they, uh, you know, had this, uh, did this album as, um, a group yeah. in one room, like recording it traditionally, as opposed to, you know, uh, mailing in, uh, so to speak, all of the parts. It may have, you know, sounded more cohesive at times, but I mean, for what it was, it was like yeah. um, excellently that, produced and performed. Yeah, and I think that's the whole thing going into it. You have to understand is that they they weren't in a position to do that and they couldn't do that. And this was the result, what they did. It's kind of more like a a fun project that they, they put together. Right. And then they ended up just kind of <clears throat> actually making it and packaging it into an album. Um, it's a lot right. of fun. So, I mean, it's weird. It might be the last Deep Purple studio album that there ever is. Um, kind of an odd, an odd way to go out. But hey, it's been an odd couple of years. So, um, l like I said in the, the last episode, the alternative was nothing. And I think they put together something that was a ton of fun, um, really interesting and inventive. And I'm sure it was a lot of fun for them, too. I'm sure they were. This is, you know, people like mm -hmm. Roger Glover, Ian Gillen, Ian Pace, all these guys, they've been on the road <laughs> since they were in their teens, like almost without stop. You know, uh, Glover obviously had a little Glover and Gillen had a little a few years break uh, after leaving Deep Purple. But then they both right, went right back out at it and they've been at it ever since. So I think once they got home, I'm sure like a lot. I think Richie gave an interview recently where he was uh, not wrong well, within the last year or so where he was saying like at first the, the, the pandemic was kind of like a nice little break. But then he was like, this is but this is too much now. <laughs> this is too long. I'm ready to go yeah. back out there and do things. And, um, you know, we don't work in a profession or a job where we had the luxury of having even a single day off it was just non-stop and if anything mm -hmm. got more difficult and busier so uh, while i have sat in kind of jealous envy of people that got to stay home and and be bored like oh boohoo you're bored i can also kind of put myself in their shoes and say well after a certain point of doing this you might say man i wouldn't mind seeing some other people or or you know, going out or doing things and, and not being stuck in my house all the time. Sounds like something I would, I would love to know from experience that that's, that gets an old, but, um, did not, I didn't have not have that opportunity, nor did you. So we're still kind of, we, we, we have had plenty of social interaction and plenty of, mm. of getting out of the house. And, uh, so it's, it, yeah, I think everybody with this whole situation we've been in has had an opportunity to um be frustrated and annoyed and want things to change so we just 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 been in all different ways so all right there you have it that's turning to crime um 
We've got a few, before we close it out, a few little uh, reviews that have come through. Oops, I'm looking at the wrong sheet. Um, so, here we go. This one's from Ultimate Classic Rock. Um, just a couple snippets. But these surprises are surprisingly convincing. Guitarist Steve Morse gets to employ some different playing techniques. Don Airy rolls out a little barrel house piano on some of the tracks. And drummer Ian Pace sounds assured in the different rhythmic approaches. Gillen, meanwhile, can sing just about anything, so his voice winds up being the best ambassador for this unlikely fair. The closing caught in the act, meanwhile, fuses together bits of five 60s favorites, uh, lists all the songs, into the mostly instrumental medley that shows why Mark 8 is one of the group's best lineups and more potent than most of its purple predecessors. So, pretty mm. interesting. Uh, BraveWords.com. Uh, gives this album a 6.5, says, My one gripe with Turning to Crime is that the selection of songs was rather predictable in the sense that it makes perfect sense for Deep Purple to cover a track like Cream's White Room. It's obvious mm -hmm. that Deep Purple is targeting their efforts to the most prominent demographic whom they've already won over long ago, but I wish the band would have taken a different approach, maybe even covering songs from an artist or era that we wouldn't have necessarily expected. That's a good point. Mm. Like if they had thrown out, imagine if they just thrown in something from... They did like a Kelly Clarkson song or something, <laughs> or, or just or or did something from yeah more more recently. That would be kind of interesting. That'd be interesting, yeah. Uh, despite wanting the band to step a bit outside of their comfort zone, the band's latest efforts have continued to surprise fans with their level of quality. And I am still incredibly elated that 53 years after the band's debut in 1968, Deep Purple are still recording and releasing music new, or in this case, old, for rock fans of multiple generations to continue to enjoy. That was pretty interesting. Um, another one I had here somewhere. I actually mailed it to myself. And I wanted to reference. Um, oh, this is actually an interesting one. So uh, somebody interviewed uh, Steve Morris the other day. I think this came out yesterday. Uh, so Deep Purple Steve Morse recalls hate for his Ozzy Osbourne covers. So he's talking about when he was in the band Living Loud, um, which is really cool. Uh, if you haven't heard it, it's a really cool uh, project that's got Don Airy, Steve Morse, Lee Kerslake, Bob Daisley, and um, Jimmy Barnes on vocals doing all Blizzard of Oz songs. Really, really mm. interesting. But he's talking in the interview about how... Uh, uh, how the fans like Aussie fans just basically like were hated him and hated all of them for doing, you know, fans can get, um, which I thought it was really cool because those are Kerr's like and Daisley songs just as much as their Aussie songs. To, so hearing them kind of do their own little take on it, I thought was awesome. They had every right to do so, but people, right. you know, like, boo, it doesn't sound like <laughs> when I put on my CD of Blizzard of Oz, it's like, then go listen to your, it's like, why are you here? Go home and listen to Blizzard of Oz. Boo. Boo! Boo! You're just sitting there like booing a CD player. Boo! <laughs> <laughs> well, they did live shows too, but you know it's um, <laughs> I mean it's just funny like like that people would take that stance and when there's just like I said, you can listen to your your albums of it. Um, and it's also Ozzy is just Ozzy's like impossible to cover. It's very uh, nobody sounds like Ozzy. You know you can't. He's got, mm. even though he's he's not uh, a technically great singer in the league of any of the singers that we usually are talking about on the show, 
he's still he's just Ozzy. You can't duplicate what he does with his voice. It's very difficult. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so he references that, and then he kind of talks about. Um, uh, so he says says in the same interview that Ian Gillen was totally against the recording of other artists' songs to make an album. He says, I thought the purists and myself would uh, see something like this as criminal, metaphorically. It's awfully cheeky to think that you can improve on the originals which are embedded in everyone's mind. Um, I really love this record. You can always tell if you feel proud of a record if you play a few times afterwards and really listen to it, which isn't the case with all the records that I've made. But I have played this one, and I've played it uh, to my pals, and I played it in a bar, and I'm very happy with it. It's harking back to what we do, to why we, we do what we do. So I thought that was interesting. But the most interesting, um, the most interesting review that I have seen is this one. And I'll put a link in the show notes. I don't know. Um, don't know if they're going to change it or remove it or whatever, but it's from Pennsylvania News Today. Um, so bear with me as I as I as I try to muscle through this verbatim review. Um, new release, Deep Purple. Conversion to Crime. Turning to Crime arrives just 15 months after Woosh, Deep Purple's 21st studio studio album. Despite the death of guitar wizard Richie Blackmore nearly 30 years ago and the death of keyboardist John Lord in 2012, he received high praise from critics who praised the band's ever-evolving creativity. This new release is the first DP album of a track that wasn't written by the band. This is a collection of songs previously recorded by other artists, such as Cream's White Room, Fleetwood Mac's Oh Well, and Bob Dylan's Watching the River Flow. So that's... Um, <laughs> do you have, so do you have any questions? <laughs> so, who, who's been pretending to be Richie for the last 30 years if he died 30 years ago? I don't know, is it like a Paul, the Paul McCartney rumors? Like, they, they replaced him? They, did they have a, a Richie Blackmore lookalike contest and then hire that guy to be in Blackmore's night? I mean, even though it's... I mean, at, <laughs> I mean, at first I was like, maybe they were like metaphorically speaking, like the death of, like the departure of, but then they were like, and the death of John Lennon. So, oh, okay, so they're talking about literal passing away. Yeah, it's like, um, man, you really don't like what Richie's doing now. You just consider him dead. That's that's really harsh. Yeah, like yeah, like when Richie died and decided to play like <laughs> Renaissance music, uh it's like, all right, even I'm not that much of a dick. Even John is like, "Whoa, come on now." <laughs> I mean, let the man live. <laughs> let the man live and do what he wants let to do. Let the man do. live since he is actually still alive. <laughs> My goodness. Yeah, that. Um, yeah, maybe I didn't even think about that, but maybe they were trying to meta. I think the metaphor fell flat, though, if that's what they're going for. Because, I mean, it just it sounds like if you didn't know who Deep Purple was, you'd say, oh, their, their guitarist has been dead for 30 years. That's terrible. I mean, they got the John Lord part right. Um, despite the death of I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, like you said, maybe despite the departure of guitar wizard Richie Blackmore nearly 30 years ago, right. th- that might have worked a little better. Maybe it was just something that didn't get through the departure. But it, they also said um, right after that, uh, and the uh, the death of keyboardist John Lord, he received high praises from critics who praised the band's ever-evolving creativity. Who's he? It's like, do they think Deep Purple is one guy? Like the front man's named Deep Purple? <laughs> I don't know what they're talking about. But you know uh, what? I'm going to click on it. This 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 has been live for a couple of days now. I'm going to see if they let's see if they edited this. Let's see. But I, I'm putting it verbatim into my. Um, hmm, it's not showing up. They remove it all together. No, here it is. Conversion to crime. 
Despite the death of guitars, yeah, it's still in there. Yeah. So yeah, they're not. They're, they're you need like a wiki, a wiki edit to that. Maybe you should edit Wikipedia. Like the th- nearly, the <laughs> Richie Blackmore died nearly thirty years ago, and you referenced this article. So here's, here's <laughs> I'm citing my sources. You can't prove me wrong. Yeah. He died thirty years some, ago. Some guy, some guy that said he. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, you nobody could prove me wrong. It's impossible. Nobody's seen or heard of him for thirty years. Uh, Rod Evans, on the other hand, that might be easier to prove. Um, mm. But yeah, I thought that that's a very short and dumb review. But I thought it was <laughs> somebody had posted mm. in one of the groups, and I thought this is worth uh, worth repeating because it's just kind of funny. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I think overall the the, the reaction has been even though the initial reaction was negative to the idea that they'd be doing a covers album the reaction now has been pretty pretty positive um people are people are liking it and i think you know it's like anything else if you take it for what it is um it's it's really a lot of fun it's a fun little album Mm -hmm. i wouldn't mind um, i wouldn't mind throwing this on my spotify on my drive to work or whatever and listen to it it's a it's a great fun album um again it's it is what it is. It's a covers album. Deal mm-hmm. with it. Um, but yeah, they've, they've, they've released some great. Uh, there's also like a uh, uh, they released. If you bought the album pre-order, they released a 13th bonus track. Uh, I'm a Roadrunner, um, which is a um, junior junior Walker all star song. Is that true? Um, uh, from what I'm seeing here, I'm not really familiar with the song. Um so yeah, it's from 1965. So that would fit in well with all the other um, songs here. So they've got that. They've got three videos. Maybe in a future bonus episode, we could dive into the videos and dive into the bonus track. But uh, for now, three episodes on this new album will probably be all mm-hmm. you get. I remember John John was saying before, like, I don't think we should do three episodes of this, but then somehow we ended up doing it anyway. Yeah, but, because I really, I don't have any say. <laughs> to say but we just we just ended up deciding to do it anyway (laughs) no but i mean if you think about it like it's a good idea that we did the original versions which i think was valuable and then splitting this into two episodes was also a good idea because nobody wants to nobody wants to hear us talk about 12 songs in one episode that's too much yeah we learned that early i I didn't want to talk about our coverdale page episode (laughs) we learned that yeah that was a learning experience we were all freaking exhausted after that one yeah it was it was a super fun episode but yeah but that should have been two episodes we learned early on not to make that mistake especially that was our first foray into the cd era and we made that mistake but i think what turned you around was the idea of doing a live stream making it a little bit more casual which i agree think it worked really well but there was that kind of um it was that um idea like do we listen to the original then listen to this one listen to the original then listen to the, this one um right and then that we would decided, have been monotonous right you know? exactly and that's kind of when, when we talk about like we've been talking for years about like when we get to slide it in how are we going to handle the u.s and the uk versions are we going to just do one episode on each are we going to juxtapose them like it's that's going to be a, a tricky one too but i guess we've got time to think about it um mm-hmm. but yeah this was a lot of fun i'm glad we did it and hey you know we, we are the deep purple podcast so if deep purple comes out with a, another this might be the last album they ever release so we're covering it as soon as it comes out so it's the last time we're able to like do a live coverage of a deep purple release why not get three songs uh three episodes out of it 
it's uh it, this is kind of the name of the podcast um but before we end we have to of course Wrap it up by thanking our foundation-level patrons. Coming in at the $3 Nobody's Perfect tier, we have Peter Gardot, Ian DeRosier, Mark Roback, Duncan Leesk, Stuart McCord, and Flight of the Rat Bat Blue Light. And at the $1 made-up name tier, we have the unlawfully perforated Leaky Mausoleum, Stephen Somerville, the Concerto 1999 fanatic, Raf Calf, Spike the Rock Cat, JJ Stenard, Hank the Tank, Private Eyes, and Ashen Lionel. Thank you to all of you rounding out the foundation level and keeping this show running. We really, really appreciate it. Oof. All right, John. Oof. Yeah, wipe the sweat from my brow. We'll be back at you, of course, next week with an episode. I have no idea what it's going to be about. Um, <laughs> we'll see what we'll see what happens. What what what? I got to look at the list. I, I have no idea um, what we're covering next week. Um, let me Wait, look. well, when you don't know, <laughs> we're all, in trouble. All I know is we've already recorded it. <laughs> oh, I see. I see. Yes, of course. Um, yeah. So thank you. Join us next week for a, a fun, if unexpected, episode coming up next week. Thank you so much to all of you, and we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Deep Purple Podcast. If you like what you hear and would like more episodes in the future, please donate on Patreon to support the show. You can also leave us a review in Apple Podcasts to help new people discover the show. You can follow us on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for show updates. See deeppurplepodcast.com for more details. Thank you for listening. Do you remember when, wait, was it, was it us or was it us with E-Rock <coughs> where we were talking about doing like, like re- recording like a metal song with the title bitches and hoes. <laughs> it sounds like something we would have talked about. <laughs> because, because I remember it's just like, Hey, why don't we write like a metal song but with like a rap title and that'll really like just freak everybody out and we never did and it didn't (laughs) (laughs) but it might have but the idea was there yeah it's a it's a great idea and we're like well how are we gonna do it and i think we're just like bitches and hoes bitches and hoes bitches and (laughs) (laughs) just just you know head banging and like you know banging on some power cords yeah i think it needed a little more (laughs) you need to flesh that out a little yeah, we, we didn't do any fleshing at all.